Hello, and welcome to another edition of Care Campaign for the Vulnerables. Let's talk about elderly care. Last April, we were the first organisation to call for a public inquiry into the government's handling of care homes during the COVID pandemic. The scandal brought to us by not just families, but care workers and care home managers. Telling of no visits, pensioners seriously declining because of lack of medical attention to underlying health conditions, and reports coming into us of a significant delay in GP and ambulance call-outs. The devastation this crisis has brought to our elderly community in care homes has been more than just the virus itself. Families are coming to us bereft, saying elderly loved ones have passed away due to the decline in health conditions and a delay in them receiving medical attention. This without doubt will leave a lifelong negative impact on loving family members. Since this crisis started, we have seen our workload escalate as we walk the path with families who suffer deep anxiety and never-ending feelings of guilt. They tell us they feel utterly hopeless that without their regular visits, the health of elderly loved ones are rapidly deteriorating. We know family members don't just spend a few minutes chatting. Many undertake personal care, including feeding, washing and giving medication. And these care partners were crucial to the continuing good health of pensioners, not least by raising any health issues with the care home managers. We do accept that there are many providers that have done absolutely sterling work during this pandemic and under extreme pressure. But we still say there needs to be an independent public inquiry to examine the unthinkable treatment that are most vulnerable in care homes and make sure that these mistakes can never happen again. Today, we talked to a family we supported, Jane, and she tells us about her father's experience. Care Campaign for the Vulnerable, we support many families in care and it has been an extremely unprecedented time during the COVID pandemic and our support that we offered to families and care workers. It's been a year since the COVID pandemic struck and the lives of many families and care workers were affected by the government guidance that was given at the start of the pandemic. Today, I'd like to talk to one of the daughters that we supported, Jane. Hello, Jane, and welcome to our podcast. Hi, Jane. Thank you for having me and thank you for all your support to date. Absolutely not a problem, Jane. Can I ask you, Jane, if you could just give an outline on the reasons why you contacted Care Campaign? Yeah, of course. So my father, unfortunately, is is in nursing care. He's quite a young man. He's only 70 years old. He actually had his 70th birthday during the first lockdown last year. And everything was going very well with regards to his care and the placement because we used to visit dad every single day. He had a visitor. Mm -hmm. We were a very, or we are a very, very close family. However, during the course of the lockdown, Things actually physically got locked down and unfortunately through the family asking questions of the home that he was in to try mm-hmm. and still keep a relationship and still 
know our father and still have an involvement in his care. A result of that, the, the nursing home actually evicted my father because they didn't want to answer the questions that we had. That's something that, you know, we we actually deal or dealt a lot with during the COVID pandemic. And it was absolutely distressing for us to hear not just your account of what was told to us as revenge, unfair evictions, but how it was actually communicated to the families as well. Was that a concern? Yeah, a big concern because we went from seeing dad and, and knowing who he was because we spoke to the staff every single day to mm. not even being able to get through on the telephone. And the way the eviction happened, everybody that was involved in a professional capacity have stated that it, it was not in dad's best interest, but mm. they still went ahead and did this anyway. And the way it was done, we'd had a conversation with the nursing home's regional manager and it came out of his mouth that, that it would not be in dad's best interest to move him. I, I just wanted to interject there because we were actually in that meeting with you. So we saw firsthand that that was actually the case. Yeah. And then 24 hours after that meeting, as you know, Jane, we received a call from the CCG to say that notice had been given. And the reason stipulated was breakdown of communication with the family. That's something, again, Jane, that, you know, was extremely concerning to me, you know, in the meeting. And it was something that we sort of struggled with, as we do, because when these evictions are sometimes served, we do know that they can indeed be served in the best interest of a resident if a care home can genuinely no longer meet the, the care needs. And this is something we see as well. I mean, we are in these meetings where we agree that a period of notice must be served in the best interest. But it's very, very concerning when we are actually privy and we sit down and, and we see the discussions. And the conclusion is it is not in the best interest to move, but they still have the power to remove an elderly, frail person because it seems, and again, you know, we have to allege, but it seems that they are moving them because they don't want to deal with the issues within that care home. Tell me a little bit more about the issues that you faced with your father during lockdown. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, as I've mentioned, you know, we were there every single day and when lockdown happened, we fully understood, we fully supported the nursing home with the decisions and tough decisions that they had to make. But my father has Parkinson's and he has tremors in his eyes as well as in his hands and the rest of his body. And the facilities that the nursing home had put together for visiting for us to just physically see throughout the pandemic was a reinforced door with wire running through it. Mm -hmm. Now, for the interim, we managed because, you know, it was a quick whistle-stop emergency facility that they'd put in place. So we understood that. However, the longer it went on, the more challenging it became because Dad was really, really struggling. He couldn't see us. He was getting very agitated and um, mm. he has Louis's body dementia, so he was starting to get quite violent as well with some of the staff because he couldn't see us. And then towards the end, more traumatically, was he was very vocal about suicide and he said his goodbyes to me and my sister in, in his weird and wonderful way. 
but he said his goodbyes. He had a plan in his mind how he thought he was going to do it. I was just going to say, Jane, that when you're speaking about what you say was your father indicating that, you know, he was talking about taking his own life, what was said about that? You know, what was the procedure? Did they did they get the mental health team in? Did they follow this up? Well, and that's where we've been. I feel we've, well, my dad's been severely let down. I recorded that visit that we had because it was so distressing. I've never seen a grown man sob like my dad was. So he was in very, very low mood at the time. So I did record the, the visit that we had. And then immediately afterwards, I messaged the care home manager to, to advise of, of what had happened. There was a carer there. And I was hoping, in light of how distressed Dad was, that the mental health team would be called, but also that we could look at personalised visiting plans for Dad. What was available wasn't working and it was causing more harm than it was good. So I was hoping we could cooperate with the nursing home to to build something that would work for Dad and, and mm. his illness because yeah. a lot of the residents where he was they had dementia, but they were still able to see, they're still able to hear and still able to communicate. And that's not the case for my father. But unfortunately, I, I hit a brick wall and I, was, I got told I was asking too much. Well, the real concerning issue there is person-centred care. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've discussed many times, Jane, that, you know, the issues surrounding each individual in a care home and how their needs and care needs and emotional needs must be matched. And I think anyone would agree with this. I certainly talk to many professionals in the sector and they agree, you know, and they've allowed personal risk assessment so that families can still go in. And I know many providers, even having COVID in the home, have allowed these vital visits where they've allowed essential caregiver to actually enter the home, albeit with full safety precautions and PPE. And I think this is where we really do have to look at the individual care homes because it's very important. And we see this a lot on social media that everybody's getting placed in the same pot that, you know, when we talk about providers not allowing essential caregivers, when we're talking about government guidance, being sort of each provider taking that and interpreting it how they wish. You know, there are providers out there absolutely done sterling work, but still there are providers that we have come across, that we have seen firsthand in best interest meetings and crisis meetings when we've gone in with families via conference calls to discuss this. The issue being is what's missing is person-centred care, individuality in each of these cases. Exactly that. And that's something that we raised with the care home manager at the time and said, the food, the treatment, the medicine is all personalised. And so should be visiting or access to loved ones at this time. I mean, we have been very proactive. We, you know, we gave daddy's own mobile phone and iPhone so they could facilitate FaceTimes. Again, this wasn't used. We were asking too much. And I just think this blanket ban and a treating everybody exactly the same. I think a lot of the care homes, unfortunately, have have used the government guidelines and interpreted them in their own way. So I think we certainly need to make sure going forward that there's very clear, constructive 
guidelines and regulations and, and that we look up various different scenarios. Otherwise, we'll be in the same issue that we are again, where it's one size fits all. And unfortunately, that's causing a lot of distress and actually harming some residents. Yeah, we would agree with you there, Jane. You know, we've seen that from pretty much the start from March, April 2020, when, you know, the pandemic struck. And we're actually, as you know, we're reaching the, you know, we're at the first year when all this began. And what a absolute horrific year it has been for many families. And, you know, how so many providers have done, you know, such sterling work, but still very, very concerning reports about certain providers who have absolutely conducted blanket bans and, you know, no questions asked. And I think that is why we need a public inquiry into the handling of COVID and the handling of our elderly during the pandemic. How is your father doing now, Jane? So it's, you know, it's it's like chalk and cheese, Jane. You know, I can sit here now with a smile rather than than tears in my eyes because where dad's moved to, he is a lot brighter. He's a better mood. He he seems in a much better place. The new home are a much more family or feel more family orientated. They've looked at dad as an individual and they're working with us now to put individual care plans in that support dad's complex issues but also support, you know, the, the atmosphere that he he thrives in, which mm. is, you know, being able to have contact with family and friends. So, yeah, it's, it's chalk and cheese. And, and it's it, although it felt like the world was ending when this happened because it was out of our control and we were really worried that dad might take a, a turn for the worst. It's actually, and you said this to me, Jane, it's actually worked out for, for the best in my dad's case. But Absolutely. my concern, yeah, and, and my concern now, though, is the, the people that don't have a voice. The, there's a lot of, of elderly people in care that they're isolated and, and they're on their own and they don't have people fighting for them. And if there's anybody else that's in the low mood like my dad was and doesn't get the support they need, then I, I really feel for those. And I think it's those people that that we need to fight for and make sure that the rules and regulations are in place for the future. Absolutely agree with you, Jane. And and for one, Care Campaign for the Vulnerable, I'm absolutely delighted now that your father is in a safer, a more appropriate care home that are looking at his individual needs and, and those of their residents. And I think that's really a point that we were trying to raise, that this isn't about placing all care providers into one pot and saying, you know, they've all sort of not done a a service to their residents and families because that hasn't been the case. It is those providers who have chosen to shut up shop, chosen not to have loved ones in during end of life and using the government guidance, which in itself we believe was not directive enough it it, you know Mm -hmm. we we have to look at that we have to sort of look at the government and how they put out this guidance and and in the manner that they did I think that was the catalyst for those providers who chose to shut up shop that's why they did it because they knew that it was only guidance that the government was giving so yeah it's absolutely it's so heartfelt to hear that your, your father now is, you know, getting those 
vital visits, you know, being part of society, even though he is in a care home. And that's not taking away, Jane, because we've spoken about this, the unprecedented challenges that carers and, and the sector have faced. But equally, we must not do, if, if this ever happened again, God forbid, or any more sort of spikes or outbreaks or different variants came, you know, in, in, in another year or even in another six months, we mustn't allow what's happened this time round to happen ever again. Exactly. And, and I think when when the, the likes of the CQC are doing their assessments, they need to start taking this into consideration. A lot of the, well, the nursing home that, that we experience, the telephone system wasn't up to scratch. You know, there was no way, you know, it wasn't a very good reception. There was no way of leaving a message. And these are lifelines to families in situations mm-hmm. like this. Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, they think, are, yeah. Yeah, so I do think the, the authorities need to need to just investigate the communication methods and also they need to look at how they do work with families because our experience is that the nursing home and the CCG, all these Cs, they seem to work against us, even though we were working, we know our dad the best. We know mm. what, what makes him smile. We know what you know what would bring him out of the low mood but we didn't nobody was listening to us Mm. and I think that a lot of the excuses that we got not just from the nursing home but from the the local council and the CCG was the guidelines say we can't yeah and everybody seems to have hid behind those guidelines but we need to remember the guidelines and that's a key word the guidelines and they need to be manipulated to get the best results absolutely yeah and we've identified that unfortunately you know the nursing homes that are putting these blankets in place and aren't supporting personalized care then that's not all of the nursing homes because the new experience that we've got it's much more personalized and much more tailored but the industry is getting a bad name due to you know due to the ones that aren't putting the resident at the fore and center Absolutely. And we would mirror that concern because we see in the work that we do, Jane, that the incredible work social workers, safeguarding providers, managers do. But still, there is many cases where it fails. And this is a huge concern. CQC don't take on individual complaints. So, you know, families get very frustrated with that because they see that as before they come to us, they actually say, well, you know, we, we wanted the CQC to help. Well, that's not their role. And, you know, I sometimes spend half an hour explaining what the role of the CQC is. You know, they are inspectors. They take the information that you give and they go in on an inspection either when the inspection is due or if it's serious enough, they go in straight away. So the issue being is that, you know, it's navigating that system. And when you think that families, yeah, when you think families are in a situation that they're in the most emotional time of their lives, it's very difficult to navigate. It is. It's it's a web. And I think what another challenge that we hit was, trying to navigate through that and also knowing where to go because the amount of times I got told it's not my job or I'm not responsible for that you know it's bonkers we, we need somebody or some department to take ownership it shouldn't be up to the relatives who I mean I'm fortunate I'm only just in my 40s but there's a lot of 
relatives out there that are in their 60s, 70s, especially in the care home my father used to be in. You know, there was a lady that was over 100 years old and their relatives, I've, you know, a lot of them don't have the energy, don't Mm -hmm. have the skills, don't have the knowledge to fight this and also navigate the system. So some ownership somewhere would help. This is people's lives that we're, you know, we're talking about and and it's very dismissive. It's like a hot potato getting passed from pillar to post and you never get an answer. So unfortunately, people give up. They do. And, 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 yeah. and we, we've actually seen that a lot when families come to us. And like you said, Jane, quite rightly, you know, we deal with sort of elderly people who are coming, you know, wanting to take care of their elderly relatives, their husbands, their wives. And it is extremely distressing when you feel that the the sector that's out there to to help and assist fails them. You know, not in every case, but definitely the majority that come to us. They just feel that they don't get that support. Can I ask you, Jane, what's your thoughts on a public inquiry? You know that Care Campaign are leading the call for a public inquiry onto the handling of care homes and we're also doing it on the do not attempt resuscitates that has come to the forefront at the moment with families coming to us saying that they weren't communicated with dnr what's your thoughts on a public inquiry do you think we need to hold one? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt yeah without a shadow of a doubt i think as we've discussed before this is not going to go away yes we're making traction with the vaccines but it's always going to be something that's in in the background whether there's new strains that come on in future years, it is something that we are going to be battling. And I think as we evolve and, you know, the more travel we have, there's other diseases that that might this might happen again. So without a doubt, we need a clear inquiry. We need support putting in place for families, for residents and protection as well. And also for the nursing homes. You know, I, I do feel for the nursing homes that haven't had clear guidelines and I know there's been a, a significant amount of deaths in in the nursing homes and yes. and that must be awful for the staff to deal with and I, my heart really goes out to those people mm-hmm. because I do believe that the majority of the staff that are caring for our loved ones they're doing that with a purpose mm-hmm. I think where I struggle is is the management of homes I think that the level of care is not necessarily as strong with those people. You know, they have different priorities. You know, it's a business after all. And I think that gap needs bridging a little bit between the management and the staff. And yeah, we need very clear guidelines and we need expectations for families. What can they do? What can't they do? Because when we were asking questions, which we thought were, were just standard questions as power of attorney, just questions that... We want to understand about how dad, things like, has his weight changed? Has he been sleeping? And we felt that we were, and we got told we were asking too much. And that's not a nice message to receive. So I think as well as giving guidelines to the nursing homes and the care professionals, we need some for the families as well. What should they be asking for and what can they expect so we know what's right and what's wrong? Because we did feel like at one point we were asking too much, but again, being of the age and the generation we are, we we read, we researched and we realised, no, we, we had a right to, to stand up for our father and make sure he was getting the best care, whether we could see him or not. And I think that needs to be addressed as also in the inquiry, some real clear support for families on, on what they can and can't do and what nursing homes should and shouldn't do as well. Because a lot of us just think they've got our, our loved one's best interests at heart, 
will believe everything they say. But as we've established, they don't not always have the best interests at heart. Absolutely. I mean, I, I would agree. You know, the majority of circumstances that we deal with, I mean, we know, like you quite rightly said, the carers are there, you know, to care and, and they do stirring work in, you know, mm. in the majority of cases. And I think that's really important. And I think the public inquiry, as you've noted, is, you know, it shouldn't be about issues that we need to address, that we need to ensure do not happen again. And I think that is the the real crux of wanting a public inquiry because the, the, the last year has been just unthinkable for so many families and care staff. Jane, I want to say thank you today for speaking to us on our podcast. And we are so, so happy that a really distressing time for you, your family and your loved one now has seen some light at the end of the very long tunnel. And I would like to thank you for all that you're doing still, you know, and supporting what Care Campaign for the Vulnerable do. And ultimately, we're thrilled to hear that your father is now more settled and receiving better care. And, you know, hopefully through the work that we do, we will see that with with far more families moving forward. So today, thank you, Jane, and speak soon. Yeah, thank you very much, Jane. Appreciate you 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 listening, and and thank you for all the work that you guys are doing. I think it's it's essential what you're doing. You know, we we as a, a community need to look at the risk versus the reward, and care campaign for the vulnerable are really tackling on that subject where we think we're protecting people, we're actually harming people. So that's something that you guys are really supporting families with so thank you very much it would have been a lot more harder without your support and i don't think we would have necessarily been where we are today so thank you very much and keep up the good work thank you jane thank you